You're listening to the Better Two Podcast with DM Needham. Hi, gang. Donna here. Thanks for tuning in to the Better Two podcast. Today, my guest is Meelan Livis. She is a holistic financial independent mentor. She believes that everyone should have the opportunity to have some freedom in their life, the freedom to buy what they want, live the life that they want, travel like they want, and not be so stressed about money. She talks to us about our, our relationship with money and how we need to change it in some cases and how subconsciously We still hold on to generational things as well as things that were said to us in the past that we haven't let go that kind of block us from the future and the possibility of what we could have. Intuition also is a big part of our conversation. And we also do get into very briefly 9-11 because she was across across the river in New Jersey when it all went down. So we talk about her experience with that. But... We also talk about her website, Dare to Change Life. It's her business program, and she talks about her four pillars on financial freedom and how to create them. So I hope you find it a fascinating conversation and get something from it, and maybe even a step toward your own financial freedom. Hey, Milan, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thank you so much for inviting me, Donna. I really appreciate this opportunity. Well, you have an interesting story. You're located currently in Florida, correct? At the moment, yes. So it's nice and warm down there still. It is. It is. Although for us, we, we you know, we've had the 30 degree nights and today we're having a 70 degree day. So, you know, our weather's at that point where it's just going all over the place. So you used to have a Wall Street job, correct? Yes. What did you do on Wall Street? I started as an IT consultant uh, for Merrill Lynch. And then, so I work with different companies, work for American Express, Jim Wither, Bank Estras, blah, blah, blah. And uh, my last uh, my last role was I was managing data modelers for um, trading flow. And how stressful was that? Sorry? Well, it was pretty stressful, wasn't it? It was very stressful. Not only the job itself was stressful, uh, the politics, the corporate politics, the commute, because I was living at that time, I was living in central Jersey. So commute was about hour and a half one way. So the combination of, uh, you know, the, the some kind of uh, very demanding job, um, commute, and uh, like I said, corporate politics uh, was uh, eventually got to me. So that's why I, I, at some point I decided that I don't want to go back to corporate. I understand. I understand. I think a lot of people, you know, they look at getting into management and thinking, oh, it's going to be a great thing. It'll be a fantastic thing. But you don't realize the corporate politics. It's it's you know, there's a lot of controlling going on where you think, oh, I can be the supervisor that can make change. It's not really the case. Yeah. And it's, uh, you know, it's still kind of uh, um, man's world. Right. Number one. Uh, especially on Wall Street. And uh, also, you know, I I actually went to business, uh, uh, the Wharton Business School, because my manager said, 
you need to get good education in this country because I'm originally from Lithuania. And so I have a master's degree in physics, but not here. So I went to the Wharton Business School, graduated with the MBA, and um, that's when it was like everybody expected that I will go back and climb uh, the corporate, continue climbing the corporate ladder. And I just, uh, you know, I just made a very different decision and never looked back. And that's the thing, I, you know, being a woman, as you were saying about the glass ceiling, I mean, when I was a claim supervisor, my boss during my review one day says, I have a book for you. It's like, but I'm not sure if I should give it to you or not. And I'm thinking to myself, well, firstly, if you're thinking you, you're not sure if you should give it to me, maybe you shouldn't, you know, that would be the obvious thing. But I'm like, no, go ahead. And I know I've never read it, so I'm not knocking the book. It was just the context of what was on the book. And on the cover, the title of the book is Nice Girls Don't Get the Corner Office. And I thought to myself, and I'm not knocking the book, so please understand anybody listening that has read it, I'm not knocking it. But in the context for me, it was just kind of like, I don't want to be a shark. I, I, I like who I am. I don't want to change to become somebody in a political environment that I don't really want to be. You know, and my husband was always like, you can you can be a, a, the claims manager. I'm like, I don't want to be the claims manager. And that goes very much to what you're saying, though, you know, in your write up that you sent me. The stress factor of being at a job that is soul sucking and, and takes a lot out of you, there's no joy in life. And you you start sacrificing and your your relationships start to suffer. Which you know, I like. Yeah, very good point that you brought up. and. Uh, I like to make a distinct distinction between compromise and sacrifice. Uh, in life, we have to compromise, right? You know, we compromise on uh, what we want to do, what we have to do, especially if you have a family, you have kids. Uh, so especially women, we compromise a lot. But when you compromise on your core values, that's a sacrifice. And I don't want to live my life thinking that I sacrifice my life because when you sacrifice, when you compromise on your core values, it always hits back to you. It comes back to you in some way or another. I know that some women um, marry wealthy men just because they, they want to have more money in their lives. Maybe they suffered and, you know, they basically it's a, it's a kind of like a money mar marriage. Uh, it always comes back and bites them always. If you go into career just for money, if you don't really care for your clients, you don't really care uh, what value you add at your work, it will come back and bite you. So um, my uh, message if uh, out of many that I would like to share with uh, your audience today is that you may, you may need to compromise in life. That's part of life. And it's wise sometimes, but never compromise on your core values. Right. I mean, when I got into insurance, I did it because, well, I'm, I it was an interesting job and I worked in mail file and I worked my way up to becoming that supervisor. And I love the fact that I could do investigations. I love the fact that there was some, you know, you could you could find fraud. You could there's a lot of different aspects that I liked about the job. But when you move into management, the political aspect starts. And that's where the job doesn't become fun and you become stressed. And once you hit that, that point, once you hit that stress level, 
that's when the compromise is over and you're sacrificing. Yes. And I think there's too many of us, especially women, when they think, I'm not saying you can't do it all. I'm not saying that at all. But when we try to do it all and we, this touches on something that um, a podcast that I actually released today, when we can't do it all and we are still chained to the idea of perfection of the ideal cookie cutter life, then we really start beating ourselves up and sacrificing even more of ourselves and our, our peace and our passion. And judging and uh, basically just uh, feeling uh, often women feel guilty, feel obligated, and that uh, leads to dissatisfaction in life. And like, what's for? Like, what is it for? So um, lately, I, I'm very discerning in terms of what I am willing to put my energy into in my time. And that uh, includes uh, my um, work hours, work time, uh, what people I want to work with, uh, what uh, what kind of um, uh, free time I want to spend. And uh, I don't want to have stress uh, in my life when I can control it. You know, sometimes we can't control stress, right? So life happens like if you have a, a sickness, if some of your loved ones is sick, so this is something that uh, it's, it's hard to uh, not to kind of be in control. Um, but... Um, you still can, but uh, what we can always control is how we respond to a certain situation. Like you just described conversation with your with your boss, uh, I guess ex boss, right? And yeah. uh, you you had the choice how to respond. You could just uh, submit to his expectations of you and try to fit into this box that most people have when they work for corporate. Or you could say, you know what? I don't want to change what I like about myself. I don't, you know, I have my own, what I call natural design. And I want to live my life according to what works for me and what what my soul desire. So that's a personal choice. Well, and, but and it's good that we have this choice. This is true. Many people don't realize that, that the choice is there available. This is very true. And, you know, a side note about the the shark there. So there was a, a lady that worked with me who she was my she was my she became my superior at point. And I remember the day she got promoted, my boss, my boss before, you know, the, before she got promoted, he tells me she's getting promoted. And he's like, so what do you think? I'm like, well, I said, personally, I think she plays favorites. And um She's not going to be the person you think she is. Oh, you don't know what you're talking about. Okay. So I think it was about six months later, I left. Now, mind you, she was the shark. She was the one that she had every hair in place. She spritzed Evian on her face all day long. And she, everything had to be perfect. If she couldn't fire an employee, she'd stick them in your unit. So you would fire them because she didn't want that on her hands. So fast forward, I'm gone out of the company and everything. and. I find out through the grapevine, because once you're in corporate America, you still have friends that are in corporate America, that apparently her her pet, as I used to say, um, 
really didn't do her job and she had covered for her. And when the pet quit, she ended up getting busted and she walked out. And I just said, I told my friend, I'm like, well, I told him all that. I told him it was all going to play out that way. But he wanted the shark. The shark was just you know, fancy dressed. You have to have certain qualities to want to be a manager in this kind of environment, to want to be a politician in this kind of environment. So, um, yeah, I, I remember I was at the podcast the other day and, um, you know, it was like rapid questions that the guy asked. And one of the questions was, what kind of profession you would never, ever consider as a politician? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But and the thing is, I think that's where we don't realize that if you're looking to get into management, you are basically becoming a politician. It may not yeah. be the world politician that yeah. is on TV, but with the politics in office, you're being controlled and being told what to do, even though you may not agree. So that's not it's not for everyone. Let, let, let's just leave it at that. Yeah. Best way to say it. So you went to school. Now you were in a marriage. At the, were you married at that point when you went to school or did you decide to end your marriage before you went to school? I ended marriage before I went to school. I don't think, you know, I was I felt so numb when in this in, in my first marriage that I just I felt like I had a void inside and uh, and I, I didn't know how to handle it. I was unhappy. I was uh, kind of, um, uh, yeah, felt very unfulfilled. And uh, I ended up be- becoming a, a shopaholic. It was shop, uh, shopping therapy that I got involved into. And I didn't realize what was happening with me. And then at some point, I remember sitting um, at work and uh, looking at my computer and I was like, do you see yourself living that life for another 10, 20 years? And I was like, no way. So where do I start? I started with my marriage because it was not working for a long time. Uh, he was too busy building the company, working. He also worked as an IT consultant. He was too busy for having a family. So I felt very lonely and uh, was raising my daughter primarily by myself. Occasionally he was home. So I said, you know what? I was in my mid forties, I think. And I said, I'm out of here. I cannot, I cannot do this anymore. I cannot live this superficial life anymore. So yeah, I left and I was planning to continue working, um, uh, on Wall Street because I wanted to pay for my expensive Wharton school, Wharton Business School. And um, so I asked them if I could work part-time and uh, go and uh, study. And at first they said yes. And then at the last moment they said, you know what, you have to choose. You either work here or you go there. It was just like that. And it was a tough choice because obviously income was important at this time for me. I was like, oh, gosh, I, I you know, relied on this income. And um, so I trust my intuition. And I said, I made the decision to go to the working business school. Now I have to make this decision right. And I resigned. And I resigned, um, I believe it was end of May, beginning of June. Don't remember exactly the date of 2001. If I didn't resign, I would be there on 9-11. Wow. And instead, I was watching the horror unfolding across the river 
because at that time I'm when I moved out of my house, I was living in Hoboken, New Jersey, across the river from downtown Manhattan. So I saw the towers fallen, and that's where I used to work. That was that that's where was my office. And I was like, oh my God, I don't know why I was saved, but from this point on, I will always, always, always trust my intuition. As you should. Yeah. I mean, that's a that's a pretty powerful moment to realize that had I made a different choice, I might yeah. not be here. And I think that's that's something that we don't always we don't always listen to the our intuition because it's like, well, you know, how do I know it's right? Well, if something's pushing you that hard, then you need to listen. There's no there's no questioning it, no questioning it at all. Yeah. And it, I mean, it can be something as simple as going down the freeway. And I was going down the freeway one day to my job, which I had that hour commute you were talking about when I lived out in the suburbs and worked in Chicago. And I was going along pretty fast and I was coming around a curve. And before I hit that curve, I heard the voice say, slow down. And I'm just like, yeah, and it's like, slow down. And I did. And as I came around the curve, traffic was at a dead stop. I don't know if I would have been killed. I don't know who I would have killed, but, and I mean, around here, people drive 70 miles an hour. Now it's even higher than that, but people drive, you know, quick. So you always have to try to listen to it when you can, when it's there, you listen. So I'm sure that impacted you for a while after that. I mean, you had to, did you still have friends that were in the towers at the time? Yes, my ex-husband also used to work there. And, um, you know, I I left, but uh, we were not like enemies because it was kind of amicable divorce. So I tried to call him. He would not answer. I was sure he was there. I tried to call my friends. They would not answer. I was like, I guess that this is it. And then I started receiving calls from some people, not from all who I called. Yeah. Like, for example, my ex, he just overslept this this morning. Wow. Which so doesn't happen often to him. So he was just late. He was just late to the horror. And, uh, and some of my friends were just sick, uh, you know, just had a flu or something like that. Like, my girlfriend was not uh, there that day. I was like, I can't believe that. Um, but uh, not everyone was that lucky. No, no. It's it's still something that I mean, it's something you'll never forget. Something that none of us will ever forget. And but that's not what we came to talk about. And I, I, I'm sorry we went there with you because I know that's hard. Um, so you went to Wharton, you finished, you graduated, and then you. What did you decide at that point that possessed you to get down to Florida? Well, that's a long, long journey from when I graduated to and uh, moving to Florida. I uh, uh, was expected again. I was expected to go back to corporate. So my uh, agents, you know, like uh, they were like bombarding me with uh, applications and stuff like that because it's a very valuable degree, obviously, and uh, it was not easy. And that was the moment when, because when I went to Wharton, I didn't know why I was going there. I was like, okay, everybody says it's a good idea, so why not? 
But then I kind of, because I was living on my own, I had more time. My daughter was in college by then. um, And I had time for myself. And I finally, finally, finally asked myself, what do you really want? And the answer was freedom. And I can tell you that no, not nobody who has desire to be free would go back to work for corporate. So I said, okay, so you want to be free, but how can you get there? And uh, the answer was, you have to develop multiple uh, streams of income. You have to become financially independent, right? Financial independence assumes that you you don't depend on any man supporting you, on uh, any boss telling you what to do and uh, agreeing with him you financially independent and uh, the way to financial independence is to develop multiple sources of income and multiple streams of income from each source and i was like okay but how can i do that you know i was all my life i was just working for corporations i had no idea so i started researching and uh, you know i was at that time i was already investing in the stock market but the income from my dividend uh, paying stocks was not enough for me to pay for myself so I said, real estate, I have to learn how to invest uh, successfully in real estate. So I started following some investors, very successful investors in the States, and uh, uh, founded my company, uh, had a team. We started investing in real estate, uh, had the business partners uh, who invested with me. It was great because I was basically doing the work and they put in money. It worked for, for all of us. And then 2008 happened. Yeah. And when 2008 happened, everything started like, you know, dominoes started to fall. My business partners asked to get money back and I couldn't. I was saying that we're upside down. We, can't, we should not sell right now. It would be a huge mistake. And, uh, and But at the same time, I felt like, okay, they, you know, they put in money. I, I, I should really... Um, give them back when they demand it. So it was tough. And then um, emotionally it was tough too, because after my divorce, all the friends uh, took his side because I was the one who broke the agreement, whatever. Um, my family was very unhappy with me because they um, felt that, you know, the guy was a good provider. He didn't beat you up. He didn't drink like who do you think you are? Something like that. So I was very lonely. And um, and when, uh, you know, all this uh, started, uh, all this uh, financial uh, drama started uh, unfolding, I felt really emotionally broken. Like I, I, I was lost. I felt ashamed. I felt guilty. It was horrible. And, um, you know, I had to let go of my team because I ran out of money. Uh, it was a moment when I couldn't pay my rent. So just imagine from yeah. flying yeah. high, flying high, living my American dream, and then just really dropping really low. So I got to the point that I remember very clearly, it was Valentine's Day 2008. My divorce was finalized. My business was in pieces. And I was on pieces too. So I started thinking that I'm such a failure. What's the point to continue living? And uh, yeah, so I was like not sleeping, not eating. And then one day I was walking on the street and I met my neighbor who was uh, 
I guess attentive, we started talking. She noticed that something was really wrong with me. And she said, I want you to talk to this guy. And I said, yeah, give me his card. And she said, no, no, he will call you. So he called me because she knew that I was in a state that I was I was hiding from people. I, I was so ashamed, you know, like I'm uh, basically I felt like I, I'm a failure. Uh, it was written on my forehead. I didn't want to meet my classmates. I didn't want to talk to anyone. So anyhow, so the guy called me and he was a life coach. And uh, I kept saying, I'm such a failure. Uh, you know, I, I'm beyond repair. And he said, uh, he said a couple of really profound things that um, now, now I realize how profound they were. He said, first of all, Failure is not a person. It's a, an experience. It's an event. An event has the beginning and the end. I said, really? It will end? It can end? He said, absolutely. So that was the first thing. And then he said, I think you should work with me. And I was like, I can afford you. And he said, oh, my darling, you cannot afford not to work with me. And I trusted him. And I started working with him. I started feeling better. I started functioning again. I uh, managed to make really good investments uh, at that time. And um, within a few years, I became financially independent. And then I said, okay, so what, what do you plan to do now? It's like I had this dialogue with myself. And I realized that I was pregnant with the information that I accumulated during this transition. I was going through this transition for some time and it was just like, I really wanted to like write. And I'm not a writer, I was trained as a, as a scientist. So for me to, to think about writing books was so weird, but I was like, again, intuition. I was like, no, I, I need to write. I need to give birth to this kind of um, drive that was within me. That's how my books were written. The first was a shift toward purpose, secrets to an amazing career about my transition. Uh, from being very, very corporate woman to being very, very independent. I became a yoga instructor. I became a meditation instructor. I uh, got deeply rooted in spiritual principles, even though I was not raised as a religious person. During this lonely time uh, when I didn't have anyone else and I uh, intuitively reached out to this high intelligence, loving intelligence or intelligent love, or God, whatever name people use for it. And, uh, and I started meditating. So I wrote about my transition in this first book. And I wrote, the, frankly, I my intention was to write this for women who might be going through similar uh, transitions. So they were like, you know, not, not like 300 pages books. I wanted them just to, I wanted them to feel inspired and to see possibilities. And then the next book was A Shift Toward Abundance, Secrets to Financial Freedom, where I talk about duality of money, duality of wealth, uh, because it has uh, money has spiritual aspect and it has practical kind of down-to-earth aspect in it, right? And uh, so I wrote about that and how uh, my perception shifted in terms of money. Like before, I felt like, I, you know, it's hard to get. I have to chase money. And how all my transition uh, brought me to the point where I felt money is my friend. It has my back. 
So a friend is not someone that you chase. It just friend is someone who you feel connection to, who you feel aligned with, comes to you. You see, change in perception. And things started happening in my life. And uh, so eventually I became financially independent. Like I said, I wrote book books after I became financially independent. And then I said, what am I doing in New Jersey? Like I really, all, all my life, my dream was to uh, walk on a beach. And I never lived in by the beach before. So um, that's when I started thinking, I started drawing like my, my goal, uh, my vision, how I would like to live my life, what kind of lifestyle I would like to have. And then uh, at some point I was on vacation with one of my girlfriends in um, Martinique, which is a French island. And I, I used to be a tennis player, like very, very um, diligent. I love tennis. And uh, that's where I met a guy. Um, he happened to be from France. And, um, you know, I never expected that something would happen. And he started flying from France, visiting me. And and um, at some point he was deported. He was stopped here in the States and deported because they said, you're flying so often to the U.S. You must be working mm. here. And he was not working. He was visiting his girlfriend. So, and... Um, uh, that's when I didn't have a choice. I called him and I was like, listen, um, I have a question. Would you marry me? Nice. <laughs> He's like, oh my God, I thought you will never, ever, ever, we will never have this conversation because he knew that I was very end the marriage after my divorce. It was very painful. So we never had like, when he would start talking about this, I was like, we're not discussing the M word. And here I was because it was the only way for us to be together. But he could not come to the States. So I had to fly to France and we got married in France. And we had to find a place to live there because, you know, he he was also divorced with two kids. So we, we only had enough money to pay for down payment um, for the very, very rundown house in the south of France in Provence. And we started renovating this house by ourselves. It was uh, quite an interesting experience, fun, challenging, but fun, you know. And um, and now we really created this beautiful villa in Provence. But, you know, it's funny how things happen. Now I live in two countries. We live in France and we live in, in south of Florida. But it, it's, it, it started from something very challenging and very kind of um, uncomfortable. So sometimes we have to leave the good to get to the great, right? So I could just say, I don't want to ever get married. It's complicated. He is deported because we had to go through a lot of legal stuff to get him back. But uh, I'm not a stranger to challenges. I uh, I don't avoid them. I face them. I face the fear and I do what I have to do. That's my love story. That's my love story. <laughs> Nothing wrong with that. Um, I find it fascinating that you were a physics major. You have a master's degree in physics, but yet you pursued business. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I always, I always wanted to, you know, I wanted to be a physicist since I was a little girl. I don't know, maybe I was six or eight, I think six. 
And the reason for this, I remember that, that I wanted to understand how the world works. Like, why this? Why, how electricity? How, you know, eventually I wanted to study nuclear physics. So it was, I have a very curious mind always. But um, business was, I was always curious as well. Like when we, you know, when I, my first job, my not professional job when we came to uh, the States from Lithuania was I was a florist assistant because I didn't speak English when I, when we came, right? I didn't, doesn't matter how experienced or educated you are when you don't speak the language. So my first job was IT consultant. And I wanted, because I wanted to learn how to invest in the stock market. Like I said, I have a very curious mind, but at some point I, I really uh, was um, uh, drawn to business and also psychology. So before I went to the business, uh, to the Wharton Business School, I was thinking like, do I want to become, get PhD in psychology or business? I Because I wanted both, you know, mm-hmm. for me, I never, I don't like to choose between things that I I like, like, you know, it's, it's for me, it's not, I would not say never, but usually it's not either or, it's this and this. So, so I decided to start with business. And then I said, you know, if I decide to go back to uh, study psychology, I can. But then some right now in my work, I actually combine this because I'm, you know, I'm studying metaphysics. I follow a lot of several um, spiritual uh, mentors. And uh, some of my clients, they stop seeing psychologists because they feel that what they receive is enough because I'm also energy healer. They receive the, they receive something that I think is uh, uh, enough for them to feel better about themselves, about their lives. And they stop uh, uh, seeing uh, the therapist. And I was like, I, I could never imagine that it could happen in my life. But you see, Every time we have intentions, somehow they they will realize. So be uh, very mindful. Like, what is it that you really want? What what is it that you focus on? Since um, very early um, stages in our life in in the states, I remember that I always focused on what I appreciated in our life, what I was grateful for. Like, yeah, we had the problems, but I would always kind of intuitively again intuitively switch to yeah but we'll also have this this and this and I think that's what kind of pulled me uh through some really challenging times that we we had let me ask you this being a physicist how does that play out with being a metaphysical person I mean because some people would say that the metaphysics is more of a, and I'm not one of them because I do read cards and whatnot, but some people would say, well, that's just hooey. That's just make-believe. It's not anything that's important. Where a physicist, that's something tangible. That's scientific. And I understand that there is a correlation. I get that. I understand that. But some people don't. So how would you explain that to somebody that that would be that, that naysayer, that negative person going, well, I don't believe this, but you're a scientist. So how would you explain those two? For me, uh, I absolutely love metaphysics. And um, like I said, I follow some uh, some of my, one of my favorite mentors, and uh, unfortunately he is not alive anymore, is Dr. 
David Hawkins. You can see his book in the back. Oh, maybe not here. It's in a higher shelf. It's called um, Power Versus Force. And he also created Map of Consciousness, etc. So for me, uh, some metaphysical phenomena that some people experience is just some law that we don't have a formula for in, in our science that is available to us right now. So it's just a matter of time. Uh, but I think that um, there are certain things that current, uh, and we have great uh, advances in science, obviously, right now, especially in, in physics. Uh, but there are certain things that we just don't have formula for. Like Stephen Hawking, the famous, uh, the famous scientist, physicist, um, he he was his intention was to create a, a formula that explains everything, right? So uh, it's interesting how some controversial things eventually become like, ah, that's how it works. So again, I believe that um, certain aspects of metaphysics are just something that in the current uh, in our current level of scientific understanding, we just don't have explanation for. Well, there, you know, there is a talk that when the Hedron Collider was fired up, that it created this thing called the Mandela effect. Have you heard of this? Now, I'm not going to, I'm not going to dispute it. I'm not going to agree with it, but it is interesting because there are certain things I do remember that other people don't. Now, why is that? Who knows? Because we remember things differently? Maybe. Who knows? But it's an interesting thing that with each scientific development, we can alter things slightly. And, and the power of the mouth, the, the thought, the word, it's very powerful to manifest things. And I don't think people realize that enough. I agree with you. That's why I, I'm very sensitive to words. You know, when I work with my copywriter, when we create like some campaign and stuff like that, I right away I say, I don't use word need. I uh, without, I have like a list of words that I, I don't like to use. Uh, entitlement, things like that. I just don't want to use these words because they have, for me, they have a very low vibrational frequency. And I feel that, very sensitive. So when I uh, speak with my clients, when I write something, uh, I'm choosing the words very mindfully because I know how powerful they can be, especially if you use these words when you talk to yourself because your subconscious mind is listening very carefully. And that's what you're planting in your subconscious mind. That's why behind me, I have a, um, I don't know, let me show you. I have this saying that I like, I need nothing, I appreciate everything. Nice. It's a good reminder for mm -hmm. me. So, yeah, that's, that's how I... It's a powerful statement. And, you know, I wanted to circle back since we're talking about words and everything. It's amazing when you look at the, you know, if you look at the word money. And while there are so many different ways, different things to be attached to it, there's joy. Joy can be attached to it. But in most cases, money is the equivalent to stress, anxiety, fear. There's a lot of negative connotations to it. So how do you help your clients? Because you've been in that dark place. You've been in that place of need. You've been in that place of fear that is this going to last forever? How do you try to 
push them out of that situation where they're not so wrapped up in it. And there's a second part to this because with women, going back to the expectations of you're supposed to let the man handle everything. And I've never been that woman, but most there's there's several women that I know that I've never, you know, that they'll say openly, I've never touched the checkbook. I have no idea. And I always look at them and say, what happens if there was an accident tomorrow? You have no concept. So how do you take somebody that's either in that mindset or has the mindset of, how do I go on? I don't have enough money. I am a failure. I can, you know, the shame that's attached to, to not having the money. How do you get past that? How do you work with your clients to, to get past that? It's a great question. So first of all, I believe, and that's what, that's what I teach uh, uh, when I, when I work with clients, I believe that money uh, is neutral. It doesn't have the meaning. It has the meaning that you give it. I used to give uh, meaning to the money that it's hard to get, that it doesn't grow on trees, that I'm not meant to be wealthy, et cetera, et cetera. But it was my doing. I was giving this meaning to money. And what is beautiful is that we can choose what meaning we give. And I earlier in our discussion, I mentioned that I eventually chose to give uh, meaning to money, that money is my friend. And we don't chase friends. We just uh, we just need to be aligned with who we want to be friends with. And then we just meet the right people. So that's what I always, we work, some uh, clients who come to me, they have a very, very, very painful relationship with money. And it goes back to maybe even generations, forget about just their parents. Your cat really likes the the conversation about money. (laughs) Yes. All right. So that's what I can say that you can decide that I want to improve my relationship with money because we we have relationship with everything, not only with people, like we have relationship with ourselves. What kind of relationship you have with yourself? That's probably the most important relationship we have, right? And relationship with money is one of the very important relationships as well. So that's how we shift from being very negative, giving very negative connotation, negative meaning to money to either, you know, you start with neutral and then you just say, I really appreciate you. How you would do this with someone who you appreciate? Because ultimately, it's a it's a form of energy that you can uh, have a relationship with. So that's the first question. The second question about women who depend on men, I I really feel that the success, financial success, is not uh, defined by where you are right now. You can see that I was devastated. I was basically below zero, right? And I turned my life around. So financial success is not determined by where you are at the moment in your life, but it it is determined by your personality traits, by your attitude. So if your attitude is, I want my my man to take care of me or whatever, my partner to take care of me, then that's what you will experience. Because at some point, it, it may not work that way. So at some point, like one of my girlfriends, 
um, told me that her husband said, I feel like you just a, a suitcase without a handle. I'm, I'm tired of it, okay? And she thought that it was a successful marriage. So it's your choice if you want to be dependent uh, on anyone all your life. Again, I, you know, I don't judge people for their choices. It's, it's your choice. And that's, uh, that's the results that they will experience. Uh, for me, freedom was very important because I believe that even in the relationship, every woman should feel independent in terms of uh, I can make it on my own. I'm not with this person, with this partner, because I cannot stand on my own. You know, you, you have to feel whole, not just half, and this, this partner will complete you uh, because prepare to be disappointed if that's the case right yeah so and that's why i think it's important for women not only be whole uh, and confident in terms of their personal life right but also in terms of their career in terms of their um, attitude uh, in in terms in terms of fi managing finances at home and i can tell you that several clients who uh, came to me in a situation when they were very, very dependent on their husbands. And they weren't happy because, you know, not every man is a good with managing money, by the way. Some are, some aren't. So I always say, why you don't become a financial leader in your family? Why you feel that it has to be your partner? If you want to change something, then become a leader in your own family, financial leader take over and, uh, you know, share your vision, uh, share what is important to you. Again, we're coming back, we're circling back to what you're not willing to compromise on. Like a couple of clients specifically with who I'm thinking about, they were in a point, like they were savers, like they they had money, they, uh, they wanted to provide for their family, but their husbands were spenders. They would just spend and if... Uh, women would want to save they would get some uh, labels like you know you're thrifty you this you that and mm -hmm. i was like you don't need to depend if you depend on his income yeah then you you likely don't have a choice so i said get out of his business he will find someone accountant somewhere else go to college get your degree start start working or start your business start making your own money and start having your own vision and then share this with him and see if he is on board. And if he's not on board, then you will decide if you want to stay together or not. Because the worst thing in life, in my opinion anyway, because it's you know it may not be the same for everyone, is to have regrets at the end of the life. I don't want to look back on my life and say, I could have, should have, I really want to uh, be in a, in a place where I feel like it was a hell of a ride. And yes, I, I took some risk, but I also got really cool rewards. And I feel that it was all worth it. So a lot of, a lot of, what, a lot of what you're saying about money is it's perception. A lot of yes. it's perception. Yes. Um, so you are an instant miracle energy healer. Mm -hmm. as well as a certified NLP practitioner. So what made you decide to become an energy healer? 
Another good question. So I noticed that um, most coaches work on, um, like money coaches I'm talking about, they work on uh, beliefs trying to kind of logically change them, like using logic, using um, evidence that your belief is wrong and obviously it's, it's wrong and stuff like that. And sometimes it works, but not always. And I was also looking for something that will, will work faster. So I know that some people use EFT. If it works for you, great. But I was looking for something that would work faster. And uh, I know that our beliefs are stored in our subconscious mind. And subconscious mind is, is uh, our body, basically, right? We, that's energy that we store in our body. That's how it works. And um, I found the, uh, the technique that allows people to release the stored energy blockages that, uh, you know, they feel it. They feel this energetic entity in their body. Like when we start talking about something and like I said, like what kind of feeling you you experience right now? It could be anger, it could be sadness, it could be grief. And I, I will say, where do you feel it in your body? And they can locate this, this feeling in the body. And then I have a process using my own body as a conduit. And I have a process of, uh, releasing this energy from their body and it's amazing it works fairly fast and uh, the results are just incredible I had one woman who all her life suffered with like she would work hard do everything right and then something would happen and she would lose money she would not make money like it was weird stuff that every time she was supposed to be wealthy and it will not happen and when we started working on this uh, deeper and deeper and deeper, because we released many, many stuff, uh, many stuffed beliefs that she had in her body. Um, one of the core beliefs for her, root, like deeply anchored, was that unless she has a noble profession like doctor, because her her father was a doctor, she cannot be wealthy, because her father wanted her to be a doctor. And she rebelled. She didn't. She didn't want to. And she didn't realize that this words that he said many, many uh, years ago was still living in her body and affecting her. Like, how can I be wealthy if I'm just an IT consultant? I'm not a doctor. You see, so it's all unconscious it's all very very deeply hidden and um and it can be released and that's why i use instant miracle for that do you think that some of this that subconscious is also generational dna stuff could be yeah you know some people it is yeah that just doesn't get resolved i think we pass things generationally through us all the time so you have what you call the millionaire method yes i uh, um i have to give uh, uh, the thank you for this name to my coach because he said you know what you do fits so perfectly into uh, you know this name and uh, basically he just uh, suggested that i use my name for my method so the millionaire method is the 
is a holistic system for becoming financially independent. And basically it was born from me reverse engineering the elements that helped me to become financially independent. And the reason I say it's a holistic system because it it has um, two very practical pillars and two uh, kind of soft skills pillars that I call soft skills. So it has four pillars. One is you have to develop wealth mindset because most people these days have consumer mindset, not wealth mindset. And that's what um, I'm working, when I work with clients, uh, I have a program for, for this, how to develop wealth mindset. The second pillar is, uh, I call it become financially savvy. You have to have practical money management skills, manage money intentionally, know uh, where your cash flow is at the moment, know what is coming in, what is coming out, uh, how to manage your debt, and uh, you know how to deal with the budget. Because some women just like budget is such a bad word. It's like it's like a big B word uh, is like a D word, like diet. You know, mm-hmm. like nobody wants to hear about that. So I feel that it's very important for women to be kind of very clear and practical about that. So that's why I have the second pillar. It's called become financially savvy. The third pillar is okay. So you're very savvy and you save money and it's great. But your money needs to grow. Your money needs to work for you. So savings are like seeds for your wealth, but then you need to plant the seeds so they will grow. And that's when strategic investing comes into picture. And strategic investing is uh, um, approach to investing your money in a way that doesn't uh, make you worry all the time because you know how to re- to manage your risk. So very sa- very uh, risk management is very important element of successful investing. And it's very, very different from day trading or from any trading. And some women come to me uh, because, you know, many women feel that um, some people make money uh, quick on uh, Forex exchange or um, trading options or something like that. And I say, I don't teach trading, I teach investing. And so that's my third pillar, strategic investing. And the fourth pillar that uh, we talked quite a bit about is, uh, I call it practical spirituality, but basically it's uh, being aware that you're not alone, that you can connect to this power within. And this ability allows you to amplify everything in your life. Uh, That's how you um, can turn your life around. That's how you can achieve your goals. And uh, it's a... yeah, it's it's a very very powerful um, powerful. I don't I don't like to word say word tool, but it's a ability that we all have. We all have this ability. We all have intuition. It's just some people pay attention to it, and some people don't. Some people are aware of this, and some people aren't. So that's, that's, that's my four pillars. I've said that to many people many a times and they just don't understand. Um, do you think that the consumer mindset and instant gratification go hand in hand? Because is that not why we have the consumer mindset is because we are instantly gratified now? I mean, you don't even have to leave your house now and it can, everything can come to your door, including fast food. 
Yeah, I I agree with you 100%. And also, I think we kind of, uh, we're getting detached from um, values that are priceless in our lives. Like I recently talked to someone about uh, how to manage presence during the uh, holidays uh, when you have a limited budget, maybe single mom, divorced, etc. And I said, you know what? You don't have to offer present in the form of stuff. You can offer presence, present in the form of your presence, because what your partner wants, what what your kids want, some good time with you. So that's that's the difference between. Um, having consumer um, mindset versus having abundance mindset. When I had my, when I had my stepkids, when they, the very first Christmas they came to live with us, you know, we didn't have the money to spend on Christmas presents. And at the time they didn't have the princess dresses or the, all the little frou-frou things. So I was like, well, what can I do? So I got some extra large men's shirts and I got a paint kit out and I got some glitter and I made these wonderful shirts that they wore for years. And they got to play princess, even though they didn't get to play princess per se. Love it. Love it. Love it. Love it. That's and, uh... and that's something that they can look back on. It is something I can look back on and say, OK, I gave them a gift from my heart. You know, it wasn't something commercial. It was something special. It may not be perfect, but. It did what it you know, needs to do. It's this beautiful family uh, memories uh, together is so much more valuable than stuff that toys so close that they will forget the next day. So uh, I, when I talked to my daughter, I was like, right away, I say, what experience do you want to have? So I usually uh, try to offer some experience to her, not stuff. Yeah. And that's important. I think experience now, you know, that's something I've learned throughout my life is experience sometimes is way more valuable than stuff, way more valuable. And uh, yeah, it's something I'm finding myself as I have a lot of stuff around my house that I don't need anymore that I have to, to part with. And it, it definitely gives you a different mindset. It really does. So um, I see that you have a website that's called Dare to Change Life. What made you decide to call it that? Because that's what I've done in my life. Uh, that's why I called. Uh, that's why I called this. Uh, my business is there to change life, and uh, and that's that's my website. Okay, I just didn't know why. We, you know why I asked is because you have the millionaire methods. That's why I was like, mm, I didn't know if you. That's why. So you have a Facebook group. You have. Um, you also have a Facebook group called Wealth Building for Powerful Women. And you have a LinkedIn page, Twitter account, and Instagram, and all these links will be on the bio notes. Is there anything you would like to add? Yeah. So first of all, I'm not really using uh, my Twitter much. Sure. So just I just want to make sure that it's clear. Yes, I would like to uh, actually offer to your audience a very valuable gift. Uh, I believe in giving. I believe in contributing to society, I think I'm very fortunate with what I was able to accomplish in my life. And I, I think it's my duty to help other women to be prosperous and independent. So I would like to offer a complimentary consultation. I call it Never Worry About Money Again. 
it's a consultation that they can schedule at uh, speakwithmillen.com, speakwithmillen, M-I-L-L-E-N.com. And uh, we will talk about your unique pathway to financial independence because everybody has their unique pathway there, right? Mm -hmm. So, uh, but um, I really, really honestly believe that everyone has capacity to be financially independent. Not everyone will be, not everybody has to be, just like we're all parents. Uh, we all have capacity to be parents, but not everybody has to be parent, not everybody will be parent. So, but the capacity is there. So if it's something that is important to you, you definitely can uh, create this in your life. And that's what I do with my clients. So again, speakwithmillen.com. You had mentioned a book earlier. Yes, I actually have a couple of books. I, at the moment, I because I gave away. So this is one of my books. This is called um, A Shift Toward Abundance. So uh, uh, it's available on Amazon. And the second book is uh, A Shift Toward Purpose, also available on Amazon. Okay. All right. Well, I thank you for your time. And, you know, it's been a very interesting conversation. I hope it's been a good conversation for you as well. Thank you so much. Absolutely. I really enjoyed it. Thank you. You're welcome. Thanks, guys, for listening to the Better Two podcast. Milan had a very interesting story. It did get a little somber there when we we're talking about 9-11, and it's something that will stick with us forever and ever. That's never going to change. I do find it fascinating that, you know, once again, we have a physicist who's also dealing with the metaphysics. And sometimes people, as I said in the podcast, those two shouldn't go hand in hand. But as I found out from the neuroscientist, that the scientific community actually supports some of the metaphysical principles as well. So I think it's important that you can have science as well as, dare I say, the woo-woo, and that they can go hand in hand. Also, a message that has been repeated several times over, watch what you say and think, because you can manifest it and bring it into reality. And none of us really need to do that. And I did really like what she had to say about the fact that our relationship with money should be about a friendship. It's not something we should be chasing. It's something that, you know, we should welcome. It should be friendly. It shouldn't be something that stresses us out. And I think that's very important for all of us because money sometimes can be just the bane of our existence. It can make us very happy or it can make us very sad. It can make us feel, as she said, a failure. There's shame attached to it. And it shouldn't be that way. You know, it, it's something that gives us, well, I don't want to say gives us life, but provides for our lives. And we will have those moments where we are down. I won't deny that. But if we can change our relationship with money and have gratitude, then that'll make it a little bit easier. So I hope you enjoyed the podcast today. As always, I thank you for tuning in and thank you for watching and listening. It really means a lot. And I enjoy doing this. So. I hope you enjoyed it, and uh, I guess I'll catch you next time. Bye. You're listening to the Better Two Podcast with DM Needham.